Hey, welcome uh, to Wellspring. I see a lot of uh, new faces, and if no one's greeted you yet, uh, welcome. I am super pumped uh, that you are here. Uh, also super pumped that sir, uh, summer is over and, uh, and that uh, we get to be together uh, like this. And, uh, and so just an honor to have all of you, uh, all of you here. Uh, I w- we're going to start a new series on the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth uh, is really written in the context of hardship, uh, written in the context of famine, uh, written in the context of something overwhelming a nation uh, and people trying to figure it out as they go. And uh, as I was studying this, it just naturally brought to mind 2020. (laughs) Something happened to us as a nation, and uh, I never took a class. I was D's get degrees in college, uh, but uh, I did not skip the class on how to pastor through a pandemic. Uh, And uh, there was no class. And uh, as I thought about this series, uh, maybe you were there. Uh, maybe you were in 2020 like I was and trying to figure out the best way you could and uh, making tons of mistakes along the way and feeling judged by other people that were figuring it out as they were going, making mistakes as they were going. Were you there? <laughs> and uh, I had my second panic attack ever. I'm not a super anxious person, but uh, my second panic attack ever uh, came in May where, uh, where President Trump uh, addressed the nation and looked at all the governors through a screen and said, open up the churches. And uh, on paper, you would say, man, that must have been awesome for you as a pastor. But I instantly started breathing heavy and uh, couldn't control my breath. We were on our way to a graduation uh, party and, uh, and Ava had to drive. I just couldn't get my breath. Because months before, when this all hit, in the same week, I got an email that said, I would be responsible for people going to hell because we shut our doors for safety reasons. (laughs) That I was also responsible for not taking COVID seriously enough and that we needed to do more. All in the same 72 hours, both of those emails. And so this, all of a sudden, I felt like I was put in the middle of a a political fight uh, that I did not want to be in. I I don't feel like it's my job to be in a political fight. (laughs) I was accused of being a heretic because I dare mention Black Lives Matter in a sermon, not affiliating us with a political group, but saying to our church and to people that would be watching that, if we care about all lives, sure, have all lives matter as your slogan, but the only way to say that with conviction is to care about black lives. And to look at our people and say, we have to do better as a nation, as a church, as a people. And yet I was called a heretic, which in the Bible is synonymous with blasphemy, which would mean that those people should be stoned and killed. I had that all over my conscience. My name was being smeared. All sorts of things were happening in 2020 as I was making mistakes and doing wrong and, and trying, but trying the best I could with, with what I hoped was integrity, although I was making mistakes. And it got to the point where I was looking at my life and saying, do I still want to continue as a human? And I looked at my kids. I looked at my wife and said, if this is going to be my life or my job, my job will lose every single time. And through a bunch of different circumstances, I submitted my resignation to the elders. And so thankfully, they rejected. And together, we grew stronger as a church, as a leadership, as we went on. I wanted to quit. I felt everybody's blame. I didn't know how to move forward. 
Have you been there? Have you been there where you felt like there was promises of God that, that, that you could hold on to in the midst of the hardship, but, but there were other people that were challenging you and like, do I believe what I believe? Do I want to move forward like I, like I feel like I can move forward? Have you been there where, where somebody's doing something and, and you don't understand and yet it's so easy to judge what you do not understand? It's the kid that's looking at their parents and saying that they don't understand why there's rules or curfew or this, that, the other thing. They don't know what it's like to be a parent, but yet they're judging their parents. It's the person that's working at a job that doesn't know what it's like to have the pressures of leading the job, of being the CEO or the one that makes sure that everybody gets a paycheck. And yet at the same time, people want to blame them for how they're trying their very best. I don't know what it's like to be uh, a parent of a, of, a, of a wildly sick child, but I hear that other siblings can judge parents when they are trying their very best with the sick child, understanding that there's other kids in the house too, and, and, and the parents feel all sorts of judged because they just don't get it. And why should they get it? It's the spouse that looks at their, uh, looks at their other, other of their uh, partner and, and doesn't get why, hey, you've poured yourself out emotionally at your job all day long. Why can't you come back and just give me a little ounce of attention? They haven't walked in your shoes and they, they do not get it. And they want to judge every decision you're making. But then there's another thing that when life hits us, when hardships hits us, that, that there's another group of us that we're making every decision on paper like it's the right decision, where no one's judging us, where everybody looks at the circumstances and said, yeah, that, that seems to make practical sense. It's the person that loses their job and then jumps into another job. And on paper, you don't have a job. You got offered a job. So jump in and take it. And on paper, it makes sense. It's a person that has a child that is, that is sick or is going through a hard time out of school and all of a sudden they move schools or, or they change a group of friends or they, or they try this medication or whatnot, this, that, the other thing. And on paper, it all makes sense and we don't judge that person until retrospect happens, until you're further down the road and you're looking back and saying, I rushed. I tried controlling the situation. I never invited God into the equation. What I want us to see today is that even when, you make, even when a decision makes sense on paper, or even when it doesn't make sense on paper, a faith that is not prioritized is a compromised faith. And we see that when pandemics hit. We see that when famine hits. When, when a famine or a pandemic hits, it's hard to hang on to the promises of God when all we feel is pressure, pressure, pressure. And it's actually in those moments that faith is built. It's in those moments where faith becomes real, where we're saying, God, everything in this world as a Christian is driving me to a place of compromise, but I'm going to choose faith. I am going to choose trust. What I want us to see today as we look at the pages of Ruth, Ruth chapter one, I want us to see that what we're talking about, although with 2020 in our, in our rear view mirror and in the backdrop of what we are talking about, it's actually not a new thing. This is something that was written thousands of years ago, uh, the fifth century BC. But I, all, I also want to see that how the people act in our story today is how we also tend to act in 2022. 
So would you guys read with me? It will be up on the screen. If you have the weekly uh, rundown, uh, it's also on there. Uh, but we're going to be in Ruth uh, chapter 1. Here's an example of compromised uh, actions. Here's uh, what it says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the days uh, when the judges ruled, uh, there was famine in the land. So this is in the age of judges, uh, the book of judges. This is uh, synonymous with that. A man, the, a man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his sons. Yeah, his name was uh, Elimelech, uh, and, his, and, his and the name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his sons were those names, uh, and they were uh, uh, Tides, uh from Bethlehem in Judea. I was D's get degrees. I'm not going to pronounce any of this. Uh, they went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech and, and, uh, and the, the husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives. Uh, the one was named Opah, Oprah, uh, Opah, uh, and, the, and the name of the other was Ruth. Uh, and they lived about 10 years, uh, and both Malad and Dancha uh, died. Uh, and they, and the, woman, the, women, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. This is a low point in the nation of Israel. If you understand the book of Judges, you know that they're being ruled by military-type leaders, but it's a whole lot of back and forth. In fact, there's a verse in, in Judges that says everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. So this was a season of chaos. This was a season of where they, they kind of had a ruler, but they kind of didn't, and it was changing all over, the, all over the place. So there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of chaos as a nation. And oh, by the way, now a deep famine takes over the land. And, and what was not uncommon in that day and age is something happens, something like a famine happens, and what would not be uncommon is for people to then travel to a different land to find food. And so because it wasn't uncommon, because on paper it would make sense, that's exactly what Elimelech does. He takes his family and they go to the Moabites. It's about 50 miles away but the Moabites are of a people group that has a history of being hostile to the nation of Israel. And so in, in Deuteronomy, they're actually a forbidden people. You're not, you're not supposed to dwell among them. You're not supposed to take their wives. Like this, this would hinder uh, the Israelites' worship of the one true God. And so this was forbidden. In their culture, this was a no-no. You do not do this. So what Elimelech saw as a temporary thing I'm going to go there. I'm going to ignore God for a second. I'm just going to make sure I get food and protect my family. Again, on paper, if we're honest, it makes sense. But this temporary escape was a 10-year journey in death. Elimelech was focused on the physical and not the spiritual. Here, his family would abandon God. They would experience both spiritual and a physical death. We can run away from our problems, but our problems have a way of finding us. And things for them got worse as they ran. They lost the blessing of God because if they had only stayed in Israel, what we will see is that Israel, God met Israel, provided for Israel, hung on to the promises to protect Israel, and they eventually would have food because God met their legitimate needs. 
As I thought about this, uh, going back again with 2020 as a backdrop, uh, I remember that, that weekend when everything was closing down. I remember getting the, the news of, of, oh man, hey, I think it was a Monday or Sunday night that they were planning, or the, the, we all knew that the announcement was coming. We saw it happening, that shutdowns were happening all over the nation, and we knew that Sunday night, Monday morning, that the shutdowns were going to hit us and we were going to be locked in. And so I did what every other family did. I went to BJ's. And uh, I went to BJ's, and I, I'm a guy that loves a good budget, works on a budget. But when I went to BJ's and saw shelves empty and lines that were long, I said, here's my credit card. You know how much I spent between Walmart and BJ's that Saturday before? $750. <laughs> only later to throw half that crap away. <laughs> In that moment, I, I went to social media and saw the his, everything going uh, his, you know, hysterical. I, 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 went to, I went and I looked at the shelves and, and myself got all sorts of worked up. I looked at my kids. I looked at my wife. I, I looked and rushed towards solutions. You know what I never did? I never stopped to pray. I never stopped to look at my own shelves and say, what do I have and what do I actually need? I bought workout equipment that I never used during the pandemic when I realized, oh yeah, I already have that at home. We have a yoga mat, but I bought a $50 yoga mat that I did not need because I rushed, because I panicked. This is not something that is foreign to us. We have this value here at Wellspring called engage with God. It's a habit that as Christians, we all need this habit of waking up every single day and engaging with God, engaging with our faith, getting into the word of God or using our phone for the Bible app and going through a study, whatever it might be. But this habit of engaging with God, that when life happens, it's not that then we go to God, it's that we're already with God through the storm. And so as we engage with God, my question to you right now, as things in our nation seem for a time to have settled, <laughs> for a time, as we might be in a season of plenty given where we've been, are we engaging with God preparing for what might come? Because in the, in the midst of hardship, we have to learn to wholly rely on God as we wholly rely on God now. Because it's in hardship that our faith grows. It's in hardship that God does some of his best work. It's in hardship that we find uh, purpose. It's in hardship that God builds character as we understand his will and what he wants in our lives. None of this is true. Learning purpose Growing character, trusting God, none of those things happen when we choose compromise over the promises of God. And now I'll read a portion of scripture that's a little bit longer, and I promise you there's probably some names that I'm going to butcher, but let's just go with it. Uh, and so here's another now. We've had compromised actions, and now we're going to see compromised faith. It says this, then, then she arose, this being Naomi, with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab. For she had heard uh, in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from that place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. 
She's such a person of faith. <laughs> as, as you have dealt with the dead and with me, the Lord grant you, grant that you find uh, rest, each of you in the house of, of her husband. And then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and they wept. And they said to her, they, in one voice, they said, no, we will return to your people. But Naomi, and being a good Jewish person, uh, but Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that, that may become your husbands? That's weird, but culturally it would make sense. Uh, turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Uh, if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would they therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She left God's land. She made that choice along with her husband. And now she looks at it as God's fault. <laughs> then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Opa kissed her mother-in-law and Ruth clung to her. And she said to her, to you, uh, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, pagan gods, return after your sister-in-law. So she's acknowledging that turning back is turning to what is not of the one true God, and she is encouraging it. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me more also, if anything but death parts you, me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was what? Determined to go with her, she said no more. Naomi hears of the blessing of God that she is missing out on because of the decision that she made. Other people are experiencing the blessing of God, and so she wants to go back. And on paper, again, this looks like the right decision. She's going back to the nation of Israel. She's going back to where the one true God is worshipped. But do you see here any sign of confession? Do you see, her, see here any sign that I'm going back to be in fellowship with God? No, she sees blessing and she wants to get back to the place of blessing. She's not going back for the right intention. She's going back to protect her own self. And why, why doesn't she want her daughters-in-law to come? Why? Why would she encourage them to go and, and to marry pagan people? to go and worship pagan gods. Why, as a good Jewish person, would you ever say that? Perhaps it's because bringing them back is her own guilt. To go back to her land where it's known very well that we are not allowed to marry foreign, uh, foreign people that worship foreign gods. If I bring back daughter-in-laws from a foreign nation, it is proof that I allowed my sons to do such a thing. And so for them to be present is for her to be guilty in the sight of other people. And so for her to not bring them back is to cover up what she has done. And that is to break the law of Moses. And in, the, in this moment where, where Naomi is not shining, where my, Naomi is not speaking of God in a great way, here is where Ruth shines. 
She gives an expression of commitment to God. She, she wants to share in the God that Naomi serves. She wants her God to be there, her God. She wants, she wants a God, uh, Naomi's people to be her people. She's willing in this moment to say, I reject my own mom. I reject my own people. I reject my own father. I reject the pagan ways and I am committed to go with you, Naomi. That is an expression of faith and a testimony. Where Naomi is bitter, Ruth goes to a place of great faith and never accuses God of injustice. Ruth, I mean Naomi, is kind of going crazy when we start to see what is going on behind the scenes. I've mentioned this to you guys before. My son is... Uh, now 11 years old, right, Landon? You're 11, I think. Um, and uh, Landon's back there doing the slides. And so if, if ever there's a slide that isn't right, you guys can look back there and stare at Landon. Uh, and so uh, when Landon was born, uh, we found out uh, through the pregnancy process that uh, my wife has a bicornea uterus. And, uh, and so my wife is a, is a very anxious person. And uh, we were sitting there in a doctor's office. And the doctor is trying to explain to us the condition uh, and basically saying like, hey, your uterus is not that strong and it's misshaped and this, that, the other thing. And, uh, and said, okay, hey, are you an anxious person? Uh, well, you shouldn't get stressed out because you'll lose the baby. And uh, if you have to, drink some red, wet, red wine because that would be better than losing the baby. And I was like, hey, doc, like, if you know my wife, you just said the exact wrong thing ever. Uh, trying to make her not stressed out did the exact opposite. <laughs> And, uh, and so uh, in that season of life uh, for us, we also had, uh, we had gone uh, previously on a, on a spring break trip with some friends, uh, and there was a lot of conflict that grew out of that, like just everyday kind of friends conflict, uh, conflict when you went on a trip. Uh, but I remember uh, I, had, I was a few days removed from this doctor's visit. I had flown down to Florida uh, to meet a pastor friend to then visit a church to, to try to gain some understanding for the youth ministry that I was a part of. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, a friend calls me right before I was walking into this church. It was a friend that we were kind of had some conflict brewing, and they were starting to come at my wife. And instead of being Pastor Jason in the moment, uh, instead of saying, hey, the Lord bless you, um, I freaked out. I ran my mouth. I said things that could never be repeated. Uh, and my heart, my mind was, if you talk to my wife, I fear losing my child. And so I freaked out. I didn't consult God. And to this day, these are friends that will never talk to us again. It wasn't worth it. When conflict happens, when hardship happens, how do we handle ourselves? I can tell you how to do it poorly. I can give you a thousand examples of how to do it poorly. It's that moment where you know you're leaving your job, but, but you feel a way about it. So you, so you kind of start digging at things in your job. You start giving them a reason to fire you. You don't want to work there anymore, but you don't have the guts to quit. And so you start, you start blaming the boss. You start going after this because all, all of a sudden it's like, I, I, want, to, I want to make this easier. Or, or I'm, going to, I'm going to be moving. And right before I move, it's going to be hard for me to leave my group of friends. And so I, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, I'm going to start creating some conflict among my friends to make it easier for me to leave and no longer speak to them. These are things that we tend to do 
in hardship, to distance ourselves, to not be around what is a reminder of hardship, as Naomi did in saying, you ladies, you need to leave. You can't come with me. And she stirs this up. And so our text goes on with an example of compromised thinking. She says, so, so, to, uh, so the two of them, uh, Ruth and Naomi, uh, went on uh, until they came to Bethlehem. And they, and they came to Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred because of them. Small town, everybody knows. Uh, and the woman said, is this Naomi? Uh, and, and she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Oh, that's nice. Change your name. That's fun. For the Almighty, oh, here's why, though. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Wait, wait, I thought you left because you were on empty. No, no, no. It got worse for you. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned in Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law uh, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem. And what time was it? The beginning of barley harvest. A time of new beginnings. A time where there's a harvest and there's food and there's a time of plenty. They showed up at just the right time. Isn't that the way of God? <laughs> Naomi's been away for 10 years, and upon her arrival in this little town, everybody's just crazy, like, oh, man, she's, she's back, but why is she back? It's a town that would know every visitor that walks through the doors. Naomi's name actually means uh, pleasant, but she's not living up to her name. She's not living up to that, that pleasant nature. She's like, no, I want to be bitter. Like, and she's taking her bitterness and projecting bitterness upon God. Have you ever been there where, where all of a sudden you feel away? And at one point, you're like, hey, maybe at one point, Naomi's living up to her name of Pleasant. Maybe when she was there and there was like wedding after wedding and things seemed good in the land of Moab, then she's living up to her name of being a pleasant person. But then hardship comes. And you see here with her shift, with her change of name, also a change of what she viewed as her what? Identity. She started to view herself differently. Well, I've lost my job, so all I am is a good-for-nothing person that can't keep a job. Oh, oh, I, I failed as a parent because my kid is going this way, so all I see myself as a, as a lacking parent. Oh, I, my spouse can't do this or isn't doing this, so all I see myself is as, as, as a broken, terrible spouse. Or if you were me back in the day when you were hearing things like heretic or good-for-nothing or a whole slew of things, all of a sudden I looked at myself as a good-for-nothing washed up pastor that was good, just better not to be a part of anything and allowed that to become part of my identity because I no longer wanted the title pastor. Where are you? Have you been through hardship where you're allowing hardship now to become part of your identity instead of saying, no, the promises of God are this, that when he, when I said yes to faith in Jesus Christ, when I became the righteousness of God, that I am a child of God. There is not a circumstance, there is not a decision that could ever change that. My identity is unchangeable as a child of God. You are more than your hardship. You are more than what has happened to you because you are a child of God. And, 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 and Naomi has lost sight of this. 
And if only she was patient, she would see the plans that God has for her. And what we're going to see is how God meets this family, meets really, honestly, Ruth's faith in this to be the God who provides the God of blessing. As I looked at this, I was like, man, there's a term that's coming to mind, a victim mentality. And so I started texting a group of people in our church that are social workers, counselors, things of that nature. And I said, hey, can you read Ruth chapter one? And is this, does this have to do with victim mentality? Uh, and they started shooting back like a whole bunch of things. And so I was like, great, this sounds awesome. Uh, can you film that uh, and send it to me? Uh, and here's what one of them said. Good morning, Wellspring. Welcome back to my backyard. Um, so today, Jason is diving into our new sermon series on Ruth and wanted me to specifically talk about verses um, 19 through 22 of the first chapter of Ruth, where we see Naomi really in a critical moment here. Um, Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law, and she has specifically gone through a lot of a lot of tragedy, a lot of heartbreak. And in the first chapter of Ruth, we see her kind of alluding to this this victim mentality of saying, you know, God has punished me. She doesn't want anyone around her. She thinks that she's the problem and that all of things, these things are being done to her because she's done something wrong. So we see in these verses specifically where she says, do not call me Naomi anymore. From now on, call me Mara. And um, the very wise Josh Raj brought up a good point about how um, Naomi's name in itself means pleasantness and the name Mara means bitterness specifically. So right from there, we can see exactly what she's thinking and how she's feeling. And I wanted to talk to you kind of from a, a counselor's perspective, because that is what I do by day, um, about victim mentality and how it can really be detrimental. So we see here that she has this mentality of, I'm doing something bad. God has punished me. The Lord has raised his fist at me. Um, so she's taking that and she's moving on. So instead of focusing on how she could be moving forward or moving with God's plan, she's trying to go against it. And she's taking that victim mentality and making it her identity. She's making it so that way she thinks that there is no redemption. There is no future. Nothing can possibly get better from here. And we know that that's not true, right? We know that our God is a God of promise and that we can, we can trust him. So with taking this bitterness and making it a part of herself, she is turning away from God and that's not what we wanna do. Um, but yeah, so I think it's really important that we always trust God in our plan and, and we give power to our trauma, we give acknowledgement to what we've been through, but we remember that we're a child of God and he's gonna bring us through anything that could possibly go wrong. Amen. A story that I'm sure comes to some of our minds as we think about this is the story of Job. Such a powerful story, and honestly, a story that as I've talked to people, uh, at times they don't understand the whole story, and it's actually a drive that, uh, a wedge that put a wedge between them and God when they are familiar with the story of Job. When Job was going through this hardship, though, I think he, he had a great perspective right from the very beginning where, where he says this to his, his wife. Then his wife said to him, do, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one, uh, one of the foolish women would speak. Shall I receive good from God? 
and shall not uh, and shall not receive evil. In all of this, Job did not sin with his loves, uh, with his lips. He kept his integrity. He 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 wrestled with God. He got to the point where God speaks to him and says, "Hey, like you, were you there? Like he he comes at God comes at Job for the way he he was starting to think and the way he was starting to feel a little bit. But in all of this, Job maintained his integrity. And a, a part of the story of Job that no one ever references. Here's how it ends. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, which may not seem like a big deal to us in New Jersey, but big deal then, a whole lot of bahaha, and a lot of camels, uh, and uh, for one, uh, one yoke, uh, for a thousand yoke of oxen, uh, a thousand uh, female donkeys. Uh, she, he also had seven sons and three daughters, and called, uh, he called the name of the first daughter, Jemimata, uh, uh, and the daughter, uh, the name of the second was Giza, uh, and the name of the third was that, and uh, in the land uh, there was no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them, including the women, unique in that day and age, inheritance among their brothers. So as we go through this, here's a question for you. Do you trust God enough to see him through the storm as he sees you through the storm? What I want to encourage you today through this text is is this big thought for us. It's simple. Choose promise over compromise. We're all tempted to go to a place of compromise and forego a place of promise. I Googled promises of God and I was brought to a counseling site uh, that that shared a whole bunch of promises of God that they they share with people going through hardship. And so uh, they all have verses that correspond with these promises. And so these are found in scripture. But I wonder if there's anybody that is going through a hardship right now that I'm going to read some promises that, this just might connect to you. And before you go to a place of compromise, might this be a promise that you need to hang on to? I have the promise of eternal life. I can't see past my, my own hardship, but no matter how this ends, even if this would cost me my life, I go to glory. I'm promised glory. That I am a child of God. I am not the sum of all that has ever, I've ever done wrong. I am not the sum of my hardships. I am a child of God. That I have access to God. That I know that I can pray and he hears me. Oh, look, Jason, I prayed for this to change and it didn't change. God doesn't answer or hear my prayers. Well, one, you prayed it 24 hours ago. And everything I hear here is sometimes God works through decades. But he's still working. Sometimes, as I tell my kids, No is an answer. (laughs) They may not like the answer, but no is an answer. And so God hears us. We have access to God. I have been adopted into God's family and I can look to God as my heavenly father, that I am loved by God. You don't feel loved. Look at the cross for God so loved the world. He gave you Jesus. That he cares for me when I am weak, that I am forgiven. Maybe part of the hardship that you're looking to go to a place of further compromise is because you've done some terrible things. Well, take all that is terrible and put it at the feet of Jesus. And you are forgiven. I am free from condemnation. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. I have been transformed. God will strengthen me for all that I need to do. I have peace with God. 
I have peace with God. You don't have to walk around wondering if God likes you. He loves you and you can have peace with him on the basis, not of your emotions, but on the basis of Christ Jesus. I will not, he will not leave you or forsake you, that you are co-heirs, that you have an inheritance in, in heaven, that you are able to overcome, that you have the righteousness of Christ, that he will protect you to the end, that God is working in you and through you, that God gives you a living hope, that you have an advocate in Jesus Christ, that in Christ you are complete, and that nothing, 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 nothing can separate you from the love of God. Those are the promises to hang on to in the midst of hardship. Two people can go through similar circumstances. Two, uh, two people can go through divorce, but they're going to handle it differently. The Christian and the non-Christian. Two people can experience death in their family, and they're going to go through it differently. There's going to be that one person that hangs on to the promises of God and walks through it with hope, walks through it with peace, walks through it with joy that transcends all understanding. And there's another that's going to go through the exact same set of circumstances and go to a place of bitterness. Will you hang on to the promises of God through hardship? A quote came to mind this week that I think, when we think of promises, here's where we go to a place of compromise. Well, hasn't God promised that I should be happy? <laughs> Would you please send that lie back to the pit of hell? It's not true. A Rick Warren quote that I think illustrates it beautifully is this. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. He's more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. He's going to do whatever he can to bring you to a place of greater holiness than happiness. And when you go to a place of greater holiness, you'll find joy. And trust me, joy is a whole lot better than happiness. I shared this with my kids. My kids had to read uh, Ruth this week and uh, Landon back on the slides and whatnot. Uh, he said this, I asked them uh, on Monday, they read Ruth chapter one. And I was like, so what did you guys learn from this? And, his, and, and I quote, he said, we need family to get through hard times. This helped me see that I can come to you uh, with what I'm going through. I was like, boy, buddy. That's a great, uh, great thing to see through this. And so I want to close uh, with this challenge and offer you candy to sign up. Uh, and so, because we're super rad. And uh, uh, Laura is doing an inductive Bible study. One of the things that we saw was uh, people can understand the Bible through our Bible basics, and that's great. Uh, but we also need a, 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 an area of our church where we, people can learn how to dig deep into God's word and learn some habits on their own. Uh, and, and it will help you learn the promises of God. And so Ruth is going, uh, Ruth, uh, Naomi, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Laura is going to do a four-week study on uh, an inductive Bible study where you're going to dig deep into the story of Ruth, but you're also going to learn habits on how to dig deep on your own. And so that starts this Tuesday at 6.30. Uh, and if you sign up for anything today, you will get a full-size candy bar. Uh, so what better time than now uh, to sign up? Uh, so serious, please sign up uh, because that's my challenge for you. Don't walk through life alone. A group like this is a great way to walk through life with other people while you also learn to chew and dig into God's word. Would you guys pray with me before we go into this closing psalm? God, I thank you for this time. Lord, I obviously don't know everybody here. Um, and so Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that a sermon planned out six months ago was preached today to the people that are here because you knew they needed to be here and that they would be here. 
And so, Father, I pray that as we go into this closing song, and as this closing song deals with uh, identity, Father, would we leave here, Father, if we are truly children of God, if we have placed our faith in you, Father, would you remind us through this closing song and through this sermon, through this experience, that we can walk out of here as a child of God and that nothing that happens this week can change that because, Father, when you say that person is mine, we are yours. And I thank you for that. We love you, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.